We've all been there. You are in a conversation with a family member, a loved one, a friend, or a chance encounter with, uh, with an acquaintance, and the conversation comes up. They, they tell you they've become despondent, they've become depressed. They say, you know, there's really, there's just nowhere in my life where I can get meaningful, thoughtful music discussion anywhere. It's, it's de- I'm devoid of musical discussion. You can tell them. The Listen In Podcast is here to help. This is what you say to them. You say, check out Jake and Sean on the Listen In Podcast. They have a Twitter. It's at level4 underscore media. They have a website. It's level4media.net. And they have a podcast which is available on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on iTunes. And you'll tell them to subscribe or follow. Um, but in all seriousness, everyone, thanks for listening. And, um, and uh, here we go. Listening podcast, episode twenty-five, Jake. That's right, a quarter, quarter dollar, quarter century, quarter century, quarter dollar, any quarter, quarter anything. Yeah, because right? yeah, it's yeah. out of a hundred. Yeah, if you're doing a percentage, if you're doing like an hour, then it would be fifteen. Episode fifteen would have been a quarter. That's true, but we're not. We're talking quarter century. Also, we're playing a big time away game today. We are. We are not in the normal studio. We're in a different studio. We've recorded here before, though. We have, under different circumstances. Yep. So I guess that's a good good time to say we have our first recurring guest ever. We welcome back Ian, a.k.a. Bruna Boyne, to the Listening Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we are talking best rock songs of the 2000s this week. That's right. Because lately we've had a little bit of a like resurgence of artists that were very prominent in the 2000s, in the indie realms and in rock. Releasing new albums. We've had Wolf Parade release uh, an EP. Um, and they've gotten back together after six years. They're going on tour. Uh, hiatus. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, let me, let me bring this up. So we had LCD Sound System, who got back together this yep. year. They made a huge deal out of it. They did. They were headlining Coachella, Lollapalooza, whatever. Made a big deal about it on social media. Wolf Parade comes back, and they're just like, hey, business as usual. You know, we're just, we want to make music together again. No big deal. Like, we never broke up. It was just a hiatus. I like this approach by Wolf Parade a lot better. You mean the, like, without all the marketing yeah. type and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I agree. I yeah. do, too. It just seems more, I guess it's more, I don't know. It, it's more truly, like, rock and roll of a move to yeah. just, like, get back, jump back into it and not, like, worry about all of the, like, what the hype will be and how you're going to control the story around it. Right. We we, we did our fair share of shooting on CD for that. Yeah, we did. We That's been a recurring theme. We did. Speaking of rock and roll... Your boy Sean went to a rock and roll show this past week. I saw Beach Slang in Boston at the Sinclair. So a band, talk about a band that believes in the in the power of rock and roll. Okay, I was gonna say if you're not familiar with Beach Slang, this band it just makes the most earnest, heartfelt, like feel good songs. Heart, about... Heartfelt to the point where it's like borderline embarrassing to listen to, but then you, if you just can buy in, it's it's all time great. It's all about like the power of rock music and yeah. what it means to you. Yeah. Very gung ho. It just being like young and alive and like we're drunk, we're in the basement screaming our lungs out with our best friends. Which for us, Sean, sincerity doesn't come easily. No. I have a hard time being sincere. And, and that's the thing. I was listening to lead singer James Alex. He was on the Celebration Rock podcast with Stephen Hyden recently. And they were talking about how it's not quote-unquote cool to sing about the things that Beach Slang sings about. Two things. Give the Celebration Rock podcast a listen. Stephen Hyden is a great writer and music thinker in general. His podcast is awesome. Second thing, I also listened to that episode. And... Um, 
James Alex comes across as a really cool guy. Just he, a nice guy. He's like really nice and like everything that Hayden was saying like in the interview. He right was, on, man. Yeah, and, he, yeah. and he has this gravelly yeah. voice. Right on, man. Absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, that's soft. Right on, dude. And like everything was like very much that. Yep. And he just seems like he really believes in what he's doing. He's very passionate. Yeah, so I love beach slang for those reasons because they're so just, they wear their heart on their sleeve. They're all about, they're so sincere. I love them. They're a lot like Japan droids, if you've listened to them. Where it's just like we are gonna sing about the power of music and just rock and roll and having fun. So I went to the Sinclair to see Beach Slang. I went with one of our friends, Matt, big friend of the pod, huge friend, of big the friend pod. of the pod. Shout out to Matt. So we went together. We got a couple beers. We inch our way up to the to the front of the stage. Quick disclaimer, not disclaimer. Side note: that sounds like the right way to start a Beach Slang show. You have Two to beers. go in. You have to go in a little sauce. You gotta. Eat. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't expect you to say sauce. You can't throw different synonyms in there and expect me not to laugh. Sauce was a good one. Yeah, so you have to go in a little bit under the influence, because they are too. They're up there drinking. Sure they are. Um, so we get up closer to the front. They kick it off. Uh, they're playing, you know, they start off with uh, All Fuzzed Out. They go into Ride the Wild Haze, where James Alex proceeds to scream into the, into the mic, Ride the Wild Haze, motherfuckers. Crowd loved it. An MC5 move. That's right. They hop into um, Noisy Heaven, one Ooh. of my favorite songs by that. Isn't that your favorite on that? I think it's my favorite from from the record that they came out with last year, which if you haven't checked it out, you should you should listen to it. Um, so they, they kick into that. I'm loving it. I'm not someone at shows who really does much more than bob their head, but... This time around, I had like my fist in the air. I was like, the night is alive. It's loud and I'm drunk. I'm singing along with him. So some asshole next to us starts to like shove people and start like this faux mosh pit. It didn't turn in, it didn't devolve into a real mosh pit? No, because nobody else around him is like interested in doing that. Right. So he, he shoves a couple people, big gap opens up, and we're just like, what are you doing, dude? Like, cut it out. So no one really gets involved. We are just listening to the music again. A couple minutes later, security comes down. They come up to me. They tap me on the shoulder. They go, you, let's go. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, me? You're talking to me. Like, this must be some kind of mistake. And in my which, head... Which, in, in his defense, presumes he knows you personally. Exactly, which is, of course, he doesn't. Right. And in my head, I'm thinking, he must only be tapping me on the shoulder because he wants intel on whoever started this ruckus. So that's that's what I'm operating with under my head, because under no circumstance do I think anyone would say I did anything wrong ever. Right. And you did have intel. I did. So they bring us outside, outside of the entire venue. They made me like put my beer down. By the way, my can got crushed in the in the pushing and shoving. You I was should, pretty pissed about it. You should it. Uh, press charges for, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> I should. Like for like 31 cents for the can. <laughs> there was like a mouthful of beer left. So they bring us outside. I'm just saying, dude, there's nothing wrong with being litigious and being your own advocate. You're right. Legally. They bring us outside. They go, we saw you push someone and someone get, ended up getting hit in the face. And like that's not going to fly here. I immediately go into logic mode where I'm like, you don't understand. I would never condone behavior. So I was doing my best to keep like an even low voice to prove I was kind of buzzed. I was like, I'm not going to let on that like anything's different, that I'm just an easygoing, mild mannered rock fan. Yeah. 
So we're talking, and I'm just like, no, you don't understand. I would never do that. I hate when people mosh. Like, you have the wrong person. My friend Matt, he's uh, he's a little bit more hot-tempered than I am. And he's like, this is bullshit. I can show you exactly who it was. I'll go get him right now. I'm see, like, Matt, no, see. it's okay. They're doing their job. Like, it's fine. I get it. Sounds like you guys gave them the good cop, bad cop routine. We kind of did. <laughs> and that's why you got to like friend of the pod, Matt. Big Another friend of the shout pod. Out to Big Matt. friend of the pod. So hey, Matt. they're like, all right. You guys seem reasonable enough. We're going to go find this other person. So they leave us outside with the bouncer. I hope they brought him to justice. Matt is talking this guy's ear off. The poor bouncer. was nothing to do with this. He's like, this is bullshit, man. We're missing the show. I'm like, dude, they're, it's fine. They're being safe. They're just doing their job. Like, it sucks, but fine. They finally come back with the guy who actually started this shitty mosh pit. And they don't say sorry to us or anything. They just go, you guys are good. Go ahead. And just give you the high sign. And I'm like, all right, thanks, man. Thank you for, like, almost ruining the entire show. So how much of the show did you miss? I think we only missed a song or two. It felt, like, much longer. And did you look into the eyes of the culprit? I did. And can I ask you this? What was it like to look deep into the soul of evil? Uh, it was chilling to the bone. Right. I, I haven't, can only imagine. I haven't, I haven't slept most nights since. <laughs> so I just snitched. Can, so. can I just say it's, it's 90... Some odd degrees in, in this basement. I just got goosebumps at this point. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling emotionally rot. I don't think that's like a, necessarily a word that makes sense there. Anyways, I get back into the show. Matt had every intention of demanding a refund after the show. However, after the show, <laughs> through, the power, through the power of rock and roll, we ended up kind of forgetting about this whole situation. I have to say, if Beach Slang comes around to wherever your city is, you have to go see them. Even if you don't really know Beach Slang songs, because they end up ripping through their own personal material. They end up doing a decent set of covers the rest of the time. They end up doing a couple Nirvana covers. They played About a Girl, and they played Territorial Pissings. Well, and I can speak to this a little bit, because I went and saw them the first time we went together. I think we've talked about it on the pod before. Um, but they played a lot of replacements covers. They um, did that again. They played Bastards of Young, and they played uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Wow. So I also would say that like it's it is totally worth it. Like I like Beach Slang a lot, maybe a little less than Sean, but having listened this past week to his interview with Stephen Hyden, it made me really want to go back. And right on, man. Right on. <laughs> and I really appreciate those albums. Even James more. Alex in the studio, everybody. Hey, James. How are? Oh, no, James. Oh, you're not sticking around. Okay. <laughs> James is gone. Um, but but yeah, the albums are really good. And but seeing them live is really what's what's to me even more worth it. It's electric. They ended up like I said. He's such a good performer. Dude. He like flings his so, guitar around. And yeah, stuff. he's like on the ground, like rolling around. He's playing cover songs. He's one of these guys who like he. If you feel like every chord he plays just reverberates through his every like ounce of his being. He did this thing. He said, "I've been." He had, like, icebreaker mints in his pocket. He's uh -huh. like, I've been eating these icebreaker mints on tour. I've been doing this trick where I spit it up into the air and then I catch it in my mouth. I'm going to try and do that for you guys. So he's playing one song. He tried to do it. He couldn't do it. He busts it out later on in the set without, like, any any anyone Preamble. expecting it. And the crowd went nuts. That's Everyone awesome. lost their mind. I feel like having listened to his interview and having seen how he is on stage, everyone you we've all known someone who's like him, like, in high school. And he was this cool kid who you weren't really great friends with. He was a little bit of an outsider, but you're like, he's like really nice all the time. Yeah. He's maybe a little too genuine, a little too like 
hard on his sleeve for me. Very earnest. Very earnest, but I always appreciate it. I feel like I knew a couple of people in high school that were like And he him. definitely has turned into this kind of guy. He is the kind of guy who has no problem going from a Nirvana cover to a Replacements cover to a Jawbreaker cover to covering Jesse's Girl all in the span of four songs. Now, didn't he cover that when we went? Jesse's Girl? Yeah, I thought maybe I don't he think did. so. No, are you no, sure? No, I was laughing out loud when he did it because he was playing it with no sort of... Irony? Irony at all. Let me ask you this, Sean, and this is an important question. Jesse's Girl, is it your first, second, or third favorite song of all time? It's my second. I can confidently say it's my second is favorite it, of all time. So is Living on a Prayer third or first? Living on a Prayer is third. Uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn is first. Okay, hmm. It's a solid top three. I switch in um, I've Seen All Good People by Yes at one. Okay. Actually, perfect. a song I like. I just couldn't think of another <laughs> okay. song. Okay. I, but it's nowhere near my top three. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that was my experience at the Beach Slang Show. I recommend anyone who just likes rock music in general to go see them. And also check out that interview with him on the on the list. Uh, not the, the, the celebration of the rock podcast. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, we just had him in the studio. He had to run out. Uh, but what we want to talk about on this episode, like we said, best rock songs of the 2000s. So, like Jake yes. mentioned, we're getting a bit of a 2000s rock revival year. Yeah. We've had the reunion from Wolf Parade, a new EP by them. We've had a new Radiohead album. Which we did a full podcast on, hour and a half long. If you've listened to that album or want to, maybe give that a listen. It's a track-by-track breakdown. We have also announced today, new Stroke single... Strokes EP. And a new Strokes EP, which is out. So we're getting ghosts of 2004 past. It, it feels a lot like the early 2000s. Um, and, and yeah, it, so it's, it's, it's been interesting to think about some of those bands again a little bit. And like, I mean, we did a lot of talking about Radiohead. And we've talked a little bit about the Strokes, not so much Wolf Parade. But, but these are bands who played an interesting role, Radiohead in a different way. But like the Strokes and Wolf Parade particularly, I feel like those are a couple bands who really define what that early to mid 2000s sort of sound and rock aesthetic we're all about yep. and so what we wanted to do today is talk a little bit about some of the best rock songs from from that decade and, and who we're, we're, better strictly rock and yeah strictly rock and who better to talk about that than big friend of the pod <laughs> ian bruna boyne he's back in the studio we're you, talking best rock songs. So do you go by Ian or Bruna Boyne on our podcast? Um, let, let's do Bruna Boyne. Yeah. Let's do it. Right? Let's, okay. let's, let's do it. You know, go full branding on this. I like it. Hell yeah. So is that, so this, I, this is something I always wonder with band monikers like that. Like, so like Car Seat Headrest is an example. He just put out an album. Yeah. Is his like, would, is his name Car Seat Headrest or is that the name of the project? Similar question to you. Um, well, I can only speak for myself. <laughs> Not being speak speak for Will, <laughs> speak for Will Toledo, please. Um, I it's a character you know you create, and so then come performance time, come it's something I just try and embody. So very cool, and, and even on podcasts, I like that. I like that. So with that being said, Ian, we were having a conversation this past week. We were talking about Wolf Parade. You let slip that you thought I'll believe in anything from Wolf Parade's 2005 album, Apologies to the Queen Mary, is the best rock song of the 2000s. Yeah, um, I did. I let that slip. I, I played my hand early before, before the podcast even came about. But I was listening to it again before you guys came over, and I, I mean, it's just one of the best songs. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty brilliant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm it, hands down. It's like toe-to-toe with it. So I actually have to 
give you credit for introducing me to Wolf Parade. I hadn't... And by extension, me. I, I hadn't heard of them before you had talked really? them up. Hmm. And you said, check out All Believe in Anything. Yeah. And I ended up listening to the full album. I fell in love with it. I would agree with you that All Believe in Anything, if it's not the best rock song of the 2000s, it's top five. It's a pretty damn good Hands one. down. It's, it's a solid It's one. amazing. It's amazing. So this is, so it does seem like I'm really I really like that song I really like the album I don't know if it's my best song in the 2000s but I, I really love that song and I think maybe you guys would be more equipped than I am even to speak to like what it is because I do feel like there's something about the sounds in that if it's the really shrill sort of synth sounds if it's the vocals that is it Spencer Krug yeah yep. Spencer that he sings with yep. um, it, it it does seem to almost like encapsulate all of the sounds to me of what I would think of as like a 2000s indie song. It has like the that guitar tone, like like I said, like the shrill synths, like the weird sort of off-kilter vocals. Mm-hmm. I don't know, what is it to you guys? So for me, it is all of those things, which I love. I think the instrumentation from Wolf Parade is, is one of the, I think it's actually a little bit underrated about the way that they arrange songs. And I think I'll Believe in Anything is a great example of their arrangements. My favorite thing about that, though, as you guys all know, I'm a lyrics guy. I think the refrain of I'll believe in anything is just, it could apply to so much. It could mm-hmm. apply to anything. And the way that this song builds to this manic, almost out-of-control culmination of everything is what I love about it and what keeps me coming back every single time. It's this frenzied, energetic performance that almost goes off the rails and off the hinges but never quite does and it's that contained chaos that i love about that song what about you ian um well i think this is something we we talk about a lot uh sean is emotional connection and time and place to a song and so this is 2005 Uh, i can't remember exactly when the record came out but uh my daughter zoe is 10 years old um that was uh she was born in october so I know my wife Lydia and I, we, that was just one of our favorite songs of that time and it just, we played it over and over again. We made like a, a birth mix there where we, yes. you know, and I'll Believe in Anything was on there. Uh, pretty solid mix. Uh, so yeah, so it's, it's tied to that. It was like a, a big transition for me as a human being. And yep. What? Starting a family and I, I'm tied sorry closely I, to that record. I'm sorry if I cut you off, but what I was going to say is that a big reason why we wanted to have Ian on, and I think why you'll have a good perspective is that Sean and I during a lot of these years, so 2005, we were 13 or mm-hmm. maybe 12. Right, so right, like right. depending on the time of year, like so these are songs and albums we came to appreciate later in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're now experiencing some of the albums and some of those experiences of albums that are coming out while we can appreciate mm-hmm. them now. But I think it's an interesting perspective. Like, do you feel at all like any kind of burden or like, like do you feel like you should pass this kind of knowledge of this stuff down to people or like... Um... I don't know. Uh, I mean, I do enjoy talking to you guys about it, and yeah. I'm here to, to share some stories. So, uh, I mean, it is an interesting time period. I mean, too, I think one of the distinctions I haven't heard recently is that, like, indie back then, or early 2000s, indie was, like, the means of production. It wasn't just, like, a sound, and it seems to be today it's a sound. Not that, I mean, Wolf Parade was on Sub Pop and Sub Pop or a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, but it still was a, you know, you weren't going major label that was never an intention that was so I think that's an interesting distinction because you've talked to me a lot about looking for music based purely off of the label that was putting it out 
And I don't think that that's something we've ever considered, Jake. I think the furthest we've gotten is something like Sub Pop, where it's like, yeah, you have Fleet Foxes and The Shins and some of these other uh, Beach House bands we really like, but... Because of the way music is released now and stuff, um, that doesn't even enter my mind unless it's like... What's that? Is it Drag City? Drag City. That won't put stuff on Spotify? Like, unless it inconveniences me specifically, (laughs) I'm not thinking about the label too much. And that's not any shot at, like understanding labels like I think that's that is important and interesting it just has never affected me in any way yeah. like in my like in my whole music listening life and I think that's a point well taken that indie used to actually mean you were on an indie label mm-hmm. and now like you said it's a sound it's, it's a specific aesthetic right, right. So where you could be thing. you could be on a major label but still be classified as indie right so that's why I um I don't know what to think about that. This resurgence of that sound is because it was so tied to a means of production. You were independent labels, so they were trying to. That was the sound people were into at that time, so mm-hmm. that's what was put out. But now you can. There's no need for any system. You can stream anything. So right. why why choose that as yeah. the genre that you go back to right now? It, it's, it's strange, but I'm I'm not against well, it. Well, another thing about bands like that, like we talk about the Strokes, for mm-hmm. instance. Like Sean and I were talking about the Strokes earlier. And it does seem like they're a band, definitely more than Wolf Parade, but they're an example of a band that was like the critical darling for a really short, brief, like yeah, lightning short. in a bottle moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so now, even if they're putting out good music, there's this feeling that it's somehow less important or it's less valid because they're older and it's <clears throat> and like they're they're releasing music, having all this success already, right. and it's not the same sort of overall feeling. I I, I even feel it. Yeah. I compared it to both of you on separate things today. Jake through text, Ian at work. I compared them to Oasis, The Strokes <laughs> yeah, in yeah. particular, where they have these amazing first two albums that everybody seems to love, and then it's diminishing returns after that. But because of those first two albums and the precedent of greatness that they set, they're always going to continue to be relevant. And that sound that they have is always going to continue to be relevant. There's something to be said about, like, there's kind of the curse of the of your first album being your great album. I think it happened to, like, a lesser extent, if you want to go way back to, like, The Doors a little bit. Yeah. You Except for, like, L.A. Woman, you don't really hear people talking about many Doors albums except The Doors. True. Um, there's a lot of those bands, I, I'm struggling to come up with others, but like where if you put out a first album and it's this hailed masterpiece, um, it, it's so hard for especially young bands, most of them are, to like find a way to live up to it or balance the way they should be thinking about it. Like how much is artistic liberty, how much is yeah. what we owe to our fans, right. to the label, to whoever. So I think uh, uh, a great place to dive into some of these other great 2000s rock songs. Let's let's start with this, the beginning of the decade in the 2000s and early 2000s. So it seemed like when we hit the year 2000, and obviously Jake and I don't really have context for this, looking back... It was seven or eight. It seems like rock was in a kind of wilderness at that time. You were coming off the 90s... And you were coming into a, the last couple years of, of the 90s, which were dominated by pop music. It broke records. And we, we talked about this the other day. This might be a slight tangent, but I'm interested in Ian's take because this is when you would have been really tuned into music. Sean and I were talking about the fact that it seems like in rock music with great albums, there's a void between 97 and 2000. Do you find that as well? The only one I can think of is that album, oh, I'm going to forget what that band is called now, 
I mean, what are do you like ninety eight, ninety nine? Um, are there particularly great um, albums from those years that you can remember? Gosh, there always seems to be a void critically to me that I yeah. don't see. Um, there's got to be some. Well, Kid A was what two thousand. It was two thousand. That's so, what I'm saying. It's like and, between and, the two Radiohead albums. And OK yeah. Computer was ninety seven, and that seems I can't. I honestly cannot think of anything huge. Just Memberment Plan is the band I was trying to think of. Mm, yeah, yeah, but that's even two thousand and beyond. Right? I think it was ninety nine. That oh, album. It might be. Yeah. Uh, there was definitely some stuff, um, but rock. I, I mean, I, it's it's funny. Like you, you say that, and I keep going now. And, and the records that I'm thinking of are like Apex Twin records. And, right. Exactly. You know, like yeah. I'm thinking of thing. different yeah. different genres. Uh, but yeah, I'd have to I'd have to check my years. Right. But, I don't mean to put you on the yeah. spot, but I was just. It's actually something I would like to like write about or like talk about if we did some research. Right. Because to me, '99 is like oh, the Backstreet Boys and In Sync. I was a little kid, so that might have been all I knew. But I, I don't feel like you see a lot written about great rock albums from '99. Ah, but you know, like that's Modest Mouse era. What? That's true. That's, that's true. That's true. That's true. Lonesome so Crowded West got, was '99. Yeah, so you got Bill right. to Spill in that time period. That's very true. Like that's true. All the sub pop stuff. I mean, Drag City was doing, you know, some great stuff. It does seem like the '90s, at least on like critics' lists yeah. or best of lists, are top heavy, like '96 and earlier, '97 and yeah. earlier. Like in terms of like what reaches the top, it's like never mind. Okay, computer. Sure. Stuff yeah. Like that. yeah. No, it's not even like there's no research that went into that point. I just it's just it's a perception. No, it's a yeah. feel. Yeah. So when you look at the early two thousands, it seems like okay, where's rock music gonna go? And then we get hit with Kid A, which we've talked about before on this podcast. I think for this conversation, Ian, did it seem like Kid A was where music was gonna be going in the context of rock? for the next decade. It did, and that's why, you know, it's interesting that I, I jumped right to, like, Apex Twin Records, because yeah. this was like, oh, right, well, rock has already, like, used up all its ideas, but here's Radiohead, like, oh, we can also use, like, Apex Twin's ideas, and we can, like, combine the two, yeah. and this is where it's gonna go, and that is why, with this, I've had trouble with this record, most the, recently. The new one. Record. Well, yeah, because yeah. it's like, I always thought Radiohead were going to be the future of music, and sure. now they're the past of Radiohead, mm. and it's so it's that's fine. I, I understand that as humans, you can't always be leading the charge, but Perfect. but really, yeah, yeah Kid A. Um, well, the, the thing about Kid A, you make a good point, is that the interesting thing about Kid A is people talk about it like it was the first great rock record of the two thousands, and it was in many ways. But in a lot of ways, it's not really a rock record. No. Like, in so many ways, like, mm-hmm. there are songs on there. National Anthem is, like, rock. How to Disappear completely is, like, more in that... Idiotech. Yeah, like, but for the most part, they're exploring, like, electronic sounds and just really weird stuff, experimental, melodic, interesting stuff. But it, it yeah, especially compared sound. to OK Computer and the yeah. Benz, it's not like a rock album yeah. proper. So it's interesting because I think electronic sounds started to be integrated into rock music throughout the decade. If you look at somebody like the Postal Service, even in a insanely pop context yeah, started, pop album. started to take some of those things and integrate it into rock. I think it took until later on in the decade for people like Animal Collective or MGMT or some of those other people to take those electronic sounds, put them in a rock music context and turn them into a combination of rock, electronic, pop music, really. Yeah. Because I think you can also speak to some of the electronic stuff that went on during like New Wave and some of that, so like 80s and stuff like that. Like the, I just think what happened in the 2000s was people started using electronics in a very different way. Like almost, I feel like, and this is a, a very br- like broad brush stroke generalization, but to me, when I think of like electronic sounds from the 80s, I think of like big pop 
music. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there was some other stuff, some experimental stuff, and uh, but it does seem like in the 2000s, especially late 2000s, there was that trend like MGMT and all of their followers, bands who wanted to sound just like Phoenix, that. Phoenix, and there's a bunch of other shitty ripoffs that I think bastardized that sound in yeah. that movement. Passion on Phoenix, man. No, 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 Phoenix, no, no, Phoenix is really good. Passion I'm, Pit's an example of a band that's in that, uh, that sure, zone. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, just like Who's that other one? No. They're on every, like, Apple iTunes commercial. Oh, I, I'm not sure. You, we would play them sometimes at, like, your dorm oh, in you college. <laughs> I'm not sure, I don't... Uh, but, yeah, so, you start off the 2000s, you get Kid A. I think what a lot of people look at in the early 2000s is that garage rock thing though where you get the strokes yeah. and you get the white stripes popping up and I think this is where we start to see some of the actual classic rock songs of the 2000s. And that's why I think Kid A seems like this outlier almost yeah. because it's like Radiohead came out with this second masterpiece in three years very different maybe this is where rock's going and then rock takes a complete other turn mm -hmm. and goes back to its roots with bands like the strokes yeah, yeah, the white yeah, strokes yeah. and stuff like that yeah so the strokes you're getting songs like last night mm -hmm. someday reptilia ian what's your take on the strokes um yeah i was down for that first record i i enjoyed the second one but i haven't been along for the rest of the ride. It right. was perfectly fine. I think it's there you was and a lot so of much hype. Yeah. yeah, I think that's. But it was thing. like it was that British music press hype. You know, it was the NME. NME it was like, yeah. you know, oh, we're gonna build these guys up because we need something to write about, and they got built up. It's so interesting how that happens. Like. Yeah. So was that not an American movement? They were definitely bigger in the UK first. It was like this pre-advanced stuff, and I think they strategically. I mean, I could be just making this up, but I think they strategically released early singles in the UK and they kind of really courted that NME British press got some hype there was the you know the New York City Cops song yeah, yeah. early you know there, so there was like some seven inches that kind of came out ahead of the album the album had a different cover that's right yeah, you know so that's it was right. like it was all this stuff that was kind of calc it was it was which well is played. the hit cover do you like better the real one with it's like that woman's like ass or like or that like kind of artwork <sighs> I which one's a better so part? it's funny I saw the second one the yellow and blue one the U.S. released one is actually like a physics thing it's supposed to rep I forget what it's supposed to represent it was in isn't one it, of my isn't it art like Adam's it is colliding I, I think stuff? that's what it is it was in one of my physics books and I saw it I was like oh that's the is this it cover I remember you telling me this in high school I like that one a lot better one because I think just aesthetically it looks better two that's the one that I grew up with and I knew totally. so I just am gonna like that one better <laughs> <laughs> so. What I was saying was I think that for British listeners, uh, the Strokes must have seemed like almost exotic in a way because that sound they were that they were doing in the early 2000s was was very different than what where Brit Rock was going, I think. Even like Radiohead yeah. or like Oasis and bands like that. And, and there was yeah, there was some attractiveness to this idea that there was a New York City scene and you know, and there was a throwback to the Velvet Underground and there was this kind of new, you know, uh, Warhol type uh, thing happening in New York City, yeah, 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 and all that stuff. Right. And then, of course, so you have this where you're kind of romanticizing New York City and this kind of gritty New York City, and then September 11 happens, and like, so, yeah. all right, this, you know, we're all feeling New York City. I think that plays in big time to the, what happened with Indie Raw. I mean, like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about 9-11, but you do have to imagine, like, that is a sort of a watershed moment. Its impact on music is really interesting to think about. I'm not sure I fully understand it necessarily, no. but it does seem like it does play into that New York scene and to like the scrappy like 
let's just play rock music again mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. This is this is not related to any of these bands, and this might be untrue, but I heard an anecdote that Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance started that band or like got going with that band because of 9-11 he was like basically life's too short to not have a band wow and like and so like that i feel like that mentality and that could be untrue or bastardized or like not the whole story right but i've at least heard that and i feel like maybe that plays into some of that mentality in that early 2000s rock yeah i, I think that's right and there's a lot of other stories and we talked about this a week or two ago on the podcast jake there's a ton of 9-11 themed stories that influenced music. We could do a whole podcast on that, I which I think should. would be really, really cool. Yeah. And I think if you start to look at that early 2000s, New York City, and even garage rock, you get Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, and if you want to talk about Maps as a, a, as a crossover song. song that turned into a huge hit that's now being mm -hmm. <laughs> referenced on, yeah, on yeah, Beyonce yeah. songs. That's right. Uh, so that cultural impact has been felt for over a decade. Yeah. Um, you get people like the White Stripes. I think they're the, the other major one we definitely <laughs> should mention from this particular subset. So the White Stripes' first couple albums, actually that's one if you want to talk about for 1999. 90s. Their the, first one came out in 99 to almost no fanfare. Then you get... That's one with Jimmy the Exploder That's on right. It. A lot of cover, a lot of just old blues standards on that on that record. And then you get Day Still coming out, got a little more buzz, and then they seem to explode with White Blood Cells. Mm -hmm. And you had fell in love with a girl on on that album, which to me that's still that holds up as a as a top song. So this is interesting, Ian. I would love to know for you, White Stripes. They're around the same time as the Strokes are blowing up. They're coming. It seems to be a lot of hype surrounding them as well. What was, was what was the feeling with the White Stripes? Um, everybody pretty much universally loved the White White mm -hmm. Stripes. I felt that so around this time period too. I was working at a record store. So it was like, you know, there was a good cross-section of people. And I, and I got exposed to a lot of different music because we had just, we would get our turn to like play a CD, at, you know, throughout the day working. And uh, so I think they were the, one of the bands that nobody was going to complain if you put on right. the White Stripes. Everybody was down. Uh, it didn't matter what kind of counterculture you belong to. Everybody was like, all right, these hey, guys we can cool. get down yeah, with this them. Is, this the, is all right. the interesting thing about that album, too, with White Blood Cells is it shows some of their versatility. Um, if you think of a song like We're Gonna Be Friends, which was a, mm. a pretty big song for them, I think partially due to its place in Napoleon Dynamite, like that song kind of helped define what that aesthetic would become, though, because that Napoleon Dynamite sort of DIY movie making a thing bit weird. became like a shtick through the 2000s. Like yeah. Juno did the same thing yeah. where it had like those like the really sparse acoustic music with like a singer who's not singing that great, you know what I mean? Like, or technically great. But at the same time, the White Stripes also could kill it with like really testosterone fueled like fucking rock music. Like yeah, so if you so yeah, they blew up with White Blood Cells, and you had fell in love with a girl, and you had Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground, and then they they really hit it big with Elephant, where you have Seven Nation Army, which what? has become a cliche at this point. It has, and Elephant is like their most universally <laughs> critically celebrated album. Let, let's I want to talk about Seven Nation Army because yeah, at too. this point I've. I heard it so many times and in so many different really? ways. That's so funny. It becomes not even real to me. Anymore. Well, it's like an arena anthem now. Right. It's played. It's chanted and played at like every sports stadium ever. It's become like the Welcome to the Jungle hmm. or Crazy Train. Yeah, of it's the 2000s. Yeah, it's it, it, it has become so overplayed that when I hear it on the record, it doesn't even feel like it's 
part of it anymore. Yeah. And there's so many songs I like better on that album. I like Black Math better. I like There's No Home For You Here better. I especially like Ball and Biscuit better. Ball and Biscuit's such a jam. Any of those, I think, would be better songs for me. I don't know if they're better, but like I like them more. I really, really think that's circumstantial. It is. I yeah. really think yeah. that if we were listening to this record like somehow objectively and hadn't had that song Borderline Ruined for us by the Stadium Anthem syndrome that's happened with it, I really think we'd come away with it like thinking, how, okay, Seven yeah. Nation Army's like the one. It is, yeah. yeah. How badass is it though that like Jack and Meg White, like just two people have made this like stadium I know. anthem. I know. You know, and when like, you think about it, you're like, all right, that, really you know horrible. what? That's a win for the good guys <laughs> yeah, right yeah. there. Well, yeah. Jack That's White good. just did cool, inventive shit. Like he like tuned his guitar all the way down or yeah. something and made, made the bass sound on that. Because it, it really starts That's with right. what sounds like a bass line. That's right. But he's playing a guitar. Because like Jack White always seemed like he was trying to push the envelope with like, how minimal can I be right, right. to create a huge sound, a huge like explosive rock sound? Yeah, absolutely. So, what I want to talk about are you get this explosion of garage rock and these cool indie bands. Interpol's another one that I think blew up in that time. Yeah, Obstacle yeah, One. They always sounded a little more cl like clinical to me than garage rock. Sure, but I think you can kind of associate them with that early 2000s well, New, New, York York, New York City vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then it seems to me that in like 2003, mid-2000s, you start to get a lot of bands who are taking this sound and just putting it through a pop music filter and you start to get bands like Jet who are taking those garage rock sounds oh, okay. and what, 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 is the, what are the two big Jet songs that you love Jake that I love Jake's a Jet apologist well, apologist is the wrong word, and since you put me on the spot, I think I'll have to explain it. But, but as a kid, I really liked that that first Jet album, Get Born, because it's exactly what you should like if you're a little kid who's into rock, because it's like exactly what you want to hear. But I'll stand by some of those songs, man. I think they came out with some pretty good songs. And like, if it wasn't the most inventive, wonderful, like new in quotes thing, because none of what any of those other bands were doing was technically new either. Right. Um, then whatever, so be it. Uh, they were a band, this is what happens though. So you have like the Strokes and the White Stripes who get praised on high, and for good reason. But then you have a band like Jet, who everyone sees, and it's accurate that they're kind of cashing in on this a little bit, and they get the critical shaft right. so hard. Undeservedly right. hard, when really they're kind of doing uh, the same. Oh, I don't know. I, think well, I want Ian's take on this. I'm excited ahead, for this. Ahead. I set Jake but, up here. <laughs> go ahead. But it was like, that's the, the, fuck, the death throes of the music industry. It's like, you know, so here's like, you know, major label, like, you know, White Stripes are big, let's get, you know, they, they yep. that was a, a natural response that, you know, they put out their early records. I do, I do, no, you go ahead, I didn't mean No, no, but I mean, like, it, it almost feels like, you know, the major labels had to, like, we got to get this sound, and they had to go to Australia yep. to find it. Like, like, oh, where, you know, like, and I want to picture this, like, Crocodile Dundee scene, where he's, like, out, like, you know, and then there's just these assholes in the leather jackets looking all cool playing there. Sure, I guess rock, what, I, rock what I, like, don't, what I guess I can never get on board with, though, is the idea of, like, how we as music, like, think, like people who think about music a lot, people tend to villainize and, and, and then make heroes out of others. At the end of the day, Jet were like, there were still four guys who played rock music. Like, I'm not saying they're great. I still would never say, like, that album is amazing, but there's still dudes who played that music. And, like, if they got, you know, sort of bolstered by a trend when they maybe didn't deserve it, they still had some hits. They still had some songs that were catchy and stuff. If you oh, yeah. want to, yeah, if you want to. hits, though. 
Yeah, what? You know, hits, like commercial sure, hits. Sure, of you course, know, yeah. Like, there was nothing good about those songs. I mean, they're not... I will... I'm going to oh. defend Jake here in that... What is it? Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Yeah. That's not even the one I, like, like. That, that's a that's a pop hit. I mean, that that's a good, catchy song. I really like... Look like, fuck, done. fuck Jet, but, like, that song's catchy, and you have to admit that. I, I like uh, Look What You've Done. Sure, it sounds just like a Beatles song, uh, but I yeah. love the Beatles, and yeah. I like those, like, melodies. Whatever, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. I'm not... So, I'm not here to lionize Jet. I'm not here to like just sing the praises of Jet. No, and I don't even want to spend any more time. Right? No, know? Jet. It's, it's this has been jet. too much yeah. airspace for Jet. This is more airspace than they've gotten that's in, a good ten de- in ten ten years combined. Yeah. That's a good pun. But that's it. like they're like the Phil Collins of of this generation. Oh. That's happened to Phil Collins. You know, Phil Collins is like despondent and won't play music anymore. That's because, actually really sad because people shit on him so. Yeah. Well, at least he had his moment in The Hangover with Mike Tyson, huh? Was he in that? Oh, oh, the, 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 the yeah. drum solo. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so some of these other big songs that were like crossover hits or kind of took that indie sound and ran with it, you can talk about Coldplay kind of sure. just taking Radiohead sounds and refitting them for a pop audience. I have to say, though, I love Yellow. Yeah. I love that song. Mm-hmm. I like it's Yellow. Great. I, li- I like, there's a lot of like Coldplay songs yeah. I like. Another part of it is, like, I was a kid when these songs were coming out. Right. And like they, they, I really liked them when they came on the radio. I think that's when you start to realize you like these sounds. So right, like, right. The, so I understand where you're coming from with the jet thing. That's what was. That's what got to you. That's you know. Yeah, you there's know. like a place for right. it, and maybe it's not the most artistically fulfilling right. thing. It led you to ever the done. other things. Yeah. Right, it's a gateway drug, yeah. kind yeah. of. And for me, a couple of these other ones we have here, Mr. Brightside by the Killers. If you want to talk about hot fuss. <laughs> Ian's laughing. Uh, no, no, I have a killer story. I probably Oh, shouldn't. you do? All right, let's hear the killer <laughs> no, story. Lay it on us. I probably us. shouldn't. I just want to bring it up is all. Lay it no, on no, us. No, no, no. I, uh, um, yeah, so I saw the killer. probably around that Mr. Brightside. Okay. And I went with, with Lydia and our friends, and uh, it was down at Lowell. It's uh, the... What is that? The song is Arena? Yeah, I think so. It was so. like, you know, at that point I was done like going to like big rock shows, but it was like, all right, the killers are kind of fun. I'll, I'll be down with this. <laughs> uh, uh, myself and, and my friend and, and his wife, we, we, uh, we were a little under the influence, and I got there, and like it seemed like it was just like a bunch of frat boys. And, uh-huh. and uh, so it was like, I was a little unnerved. I was like, ah, oh, this is, you know, not necessarily my scene. And <laughs> we got inside, and for whatever reason, I thought it was. <laughs> At a Nazi rally, <laughs> like it was just like, oh, there was like everyone. What is going on here? Like, and like the killers were playing, and pe- I'm like, I thought I saw people were s- saluting, and I was like, oh shit, man, I cannot be here right now. It's the killers. You certainly this- were under the influence. Yeah, so just yeah. so like I leave, and like everybody's like, oh, that was a pretty good time, and like, all right, you sure we experienced the same thing? And I turned to my friend, and it was like, man, dude, the- did that not feel like a Nazi rally? He's like. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) So it has nothing to do with what like a killer show is actually like. That's actually really, really funny. The killers have a lot of really good songs despite their Nazi affiliation. (laughs) (laughs) Supposed, alleged. Okay, so that's an interesting thing. That's gonna be a sound bite that someone pulls out. (laughs) Me accusing the killers (laughs) of being Nazis. So that's the thing about some of these indie rock pop hits is they get taken by an audience that you wouldn't necessarily be associated with. You mentioned like a lot of frat guys there. Right. It's like, oh, these aren't people I normally see at shows or appreciating music. And those crossover songs end up 
reaching a ton of right. people. You kind of resent it, was it a an little intimate bit. Thing still, and right? Then it became so just anxiety took over. Yeah. And, and if we're gonna compare it to like this decade, for example, if you think of and we're jumping ahead here a little bit, but that electronic thing that happened late in the 2000s, the MGMTs of the world. We start hearing bands in like 2011, 2012, like Foster the People. Yeah. Who like, yeah. Who like we sort of resented. Yeah. But you got to think, like, there are kids who are like 12, 13 in 2012, right, and you're like, right. ooh, maybe I can kind of get into this. That's how yeah, they're getting yeah, right, into right. better music because the killers, along with Green Day, when I was in seventh grade and eighth grade, were two of the bands who I was like, I like what they're doing. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what it's all about yet, but this is a sound that I really like. And I will eventually explore more of when I get a little bit older. They're so, a gateway drug. Exactly. And I think that's really, really important. And bands like The Killers, bands like Coldplay, and a couple other ones on here. Franz Ferdinand, Take Me Out. That is a great song of the 2000s. It's a great, that is so of that era. It is, yeah. What year is that? I feel like that, that's going to be, for, for that decade, that's going to be one of the songs that's like... Very much a cliche of the 2000s. I think it already is. Yeah, it'll be like the All Along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix cover. It'll be in every single... Um... Iraq War. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 instead of Vietnam. I hate that song. So, <laughs> so, really? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll... I never liked it. I okay. never liked Franz Ferdinand. So what's the reason for that song uh, that you don't like it? I don't know. It was... Uh... I, I don't even feel like they're into playing it. Like, they, like, kind of Maybe that's because of the music like, video where they're playing yeah, it. Yeah, no, maybe, but it's just, like, it never struck a chord with me. And it was huge. It was huge. So I think when a song is ending up on Madden 2005, yeah. it's a sign that, like, maybe this is just not the best. I don't know. Like I don't know. Because I, I appreciate it as a pop hit. I am not just saying that this because Ian said it. I've never been all in on that song. I, I like it. It's good enough. It's it like the record. Are you into? I've never listened to the record. Never listened to the record. No, I've never no. listened. God no. I've never uh, listened to that Franz Ferdinand record. I'm gonna defend "Take Me Out." I real. I legitimately really like that song. Think every part of it is super catchy. Like all the riffs. I like the melodies in it. I, I kind of like his voice in that song. Yeah. I don't like that Franz Ferdinand It sounds like song. an Interpol ripoff to me is, is uh, Franz Ferdinand a little bit. I don't bit. know. I, I don't think it sounds that much like Interpol. I, I think that, um, plus they're contemporaries. They like virtually, yeah. those yeah. songs came out like in, yeah. relatively the same time. I don't like that song that they did with like, oh, you boys will never know. Oh, no, you, did you remember that song? Uh, yeah. 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 I don't love that yeah. song. I don't yeah. like that So I guess yeah. like all, all the rest of it, Poison, like everybody was listening. So I guess, you know, when I, I say that I, I appreciated everyone sharing their their music. I think probably what it was is some one person played that Franz Ferdinand record a bunch of times. Yeah, and they're really fuck like, you. Yeah, yeah. I ain't into this. Yeah. I ain't into this. So I think another cool thing about that mid two thousands is like the White Stripes, the Strokes. They kind of made indie rock a viable product, mm-hmm. and then you start to get an explosion of what I like to just call like indie indie bands. The as indies in, indie. Like the comedians comedian. It's like a comedian's comedian. It's like Louis C.K. A or Patton Oswalt. That's right. The National is the Patton Oswalt of indie. It's, you get bands like Arcade Fire, The National, TV on the Radio, The Shins, Arctic Monkeys, The Walkman, Vampire Weekend. All these people seem to just be like, you can't really put them in a box other than just they're that alternative indie sound. A couple great songs I want to pick out of the bands you just heard that... Um, I get, you got uh, The Walkman with The Rap, yeah. which is an absolute bang. That song's so good. And then on the other end of the musical spectrum, in terms of mood, New Slang by uh, That's right. By made, made famous by Garden State, a Zach Braff-written <laughs> film, which I will defend. I love Garden State. It actually 
helped introduce me to a lot of music. The soundtrack to that movie, I have to say, say what you want about the the movie and the writing, whatever, because I was probably too young to realize that maybe it's not the best. I've never seen it. The soundtrack to that movie was awesome. It introduced me to a lot of indie bands. Don't have to defend it to me. So yeah, Caring is Creepy, new slang, great shin songs. Yeah. Then you but know the rat dude. That song, the Walkman, like oh, that's man, a band. I, I love the Walkman. Yeah. I really like the yeah. Walkman too. I haven't listened to them as much as I probably should have. I've listened a lot to their oh. most recent album. That really, like, and the record before album. the the rat. Uh, well, not the rat. That yeah. wasn't the album, but Bows and Arrows was that. Yeah, album. Okay. yeah. A record before. But uh, that song, man, it. like for a band that, and I don't know a whole lot about like their roots, but they're not like really a punk band by any stretch, are they? That no. song is so rooted in just straight-ahead aggression. Yeah. The guitars on that just go. They uh, just, they like, it's unbelievable. They're done, right? I don't know. They are, uh, yeah, they said... No, they're hiatus. It's a, right? like a yeah. permanent hiatus type of deal. Man, live, they, they are one of the We best saw them live. Did you see they opened, them? Yeah. They opened for Fleet Foxes. Yeah. The, I, yes, we saw them open for Fleet Foxes. We caught the tail end of that because we got to that show late. I saw them play at Boston Calling before the National went on. I'm with you, Ian. They yeah, were that's a good awesome. Combo. That's a good he combo. also has, awesome. the lead singer has an all-time cool name. Is it Hamilton, Hamilton Lighthouser? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Super so cool rock they're name. Actually, or just name. The Walkmen are a combination of two bands. Like okay. that Jonathan Fire Eater, and I think there was another one. <laughs> that might be a cooler name. <laughs> Jonathan Fire Eater? I think both bands like got some like label advances, didn't kind of like, releases didn't pan out, and then they just kind of like, Combined uh, forces. let's pool our resources here and let's 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 do a band yeah uh, if it worked out for them. yeah it did man uh yeah so if you talk about some of those other bands too you get the national who broke it big with in 2005 with alligator mr. what would you no- say is the song on there i I'd say it's mr november okay. i think that's that's the song if you look at boxer which came out in 0708 ish fake empire, fake empire was the one that like, hit it big boxer was the one that really broke them and it, it was, was like so, retroactively alligator yeah out. so i think there was some critical love quietly for alligator yeah. people were like this band or something I, I with them i heard of the national but and then they, i never sought sought them out they hit the it big with boxer and yeah. I, I think fake empire was really the one cuz that got caught up in kind of obama's campaign that yeah. was used as a campaign song um, so, and then Arctic Monkeys is another one who they have just seemed to be a constant in this indie rock in rock genre for the past decade. They're an interesting case of a band that like, they're like sort of like chameleons within what yes. they do. They sort of continually shift into different level. I've actually liked all their records. Some people are sort of in on the early stuff, out on the later stuff, but it's really interesting to think about their band who in 2006 was very much known for that whatever people say I am sound, that sort of yeah, straight yeah, ahead yeah. Brit punk sound. The the sound that they're popular for now with teenagers now couldn't be more like the opposite. Like if yeah. you think of do I do I wanna know it's this like why do you only call me when you're high? Yeah, yeah. It's like this mix between dance music and stoner rock. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh it's very, very different. And they started to make that that turn on humbug when it came out with like Crying Lightning and those songs where it became more of this sludgy, heavy hmm. riffs. So, on, uh, instead of those really fast, upbeat, view from the afternoon, yes. uh, songs like that. So I don't know if how, if how much there's like a song for them, but I think if there's one that obviously that really gave them the springboard, it was uh, it was I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is a jam, but I remember when I first got that album, this is interesting, it was, I liked it. It took me actually kind of a long time to get into that album for some reason. Now I love it. And I think my favorite by them still. Um, 
I bet you'll go on the dance floor. It didn't click for a long time. I remember I just didn't get what was so good about it. I feel like now I do. Like it, it really is. It's have you ever heard it on a dance floor? I don't know. <laughs> I have not. That's I bet that's a transcendent experience. That's a, a, that's a, that's a yeah, yeah. very fair so, question. Two thousand six. Me and Lydia went to Ireland. Uh, Zoe was just born. We talked about earlier. Uh, you know, life is is evolving here. Yeah, live on the podcast. <laughs> it is. It's, this is amazing. It's all, yeah, yeah. It's it's all happening. Yeah. I'm gonna get misty by now. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So we were in Ireland. I, I had uh, grown up in Ireland. So we went back to take her back, and we had this night where we went out in in town, and like, so it was a bunch of Irish kids. Everybody was drinking like. Uh, Red Bulls and vodka, and we went yeah. to this club. It was called like Fuse or something like that. And <laughs> of course, kind of like playing some like dance songs, oh, whatever. <laughs> and the place was kind of busy. Everybody was kind of doing the thing, and they put that song on, and everybody like stopped what they were doing, and just like the place went fucking That's nuts. Awesome. People just crowded yeah. on. Everybody was just it was it was. One of those transcendent. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I feel like a good part of it is the way it kicks off with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Throwing my keys down. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, I, I'm going out now. Go, 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 go. We just went out there. You're making me want to listen to this record right now. pop that on. Maybe we do. Because View from the Afternoon is actually the song that I love. That's my favorite on that album. That's And then, Jake, you know better than anyone the playlist that I end up making for a lot of parties that we have. I'll always throw on some 2006 era Arctic Monkeys. I don't Marty do Bum. I don't do those big hits. I put on like dancing shoes, and I put on like uh, when the sun goes down. When the sun, yeah, like songs like that where you're like, oh yes, this fucking song, yeah. I think on their second album, it's Brian it's Storm. It's Storm. That song, the that riff rips. that song is absolutely insane. Yep. And I love that they open with it. That must be a great way to warm up, because you, if you're Alex Turner or anyone in that band, you're like, well, we're not playing anything harder tonight after that. <laughs> right, and, right, right. and we saw them open for the Black Keys in Boston a few years ago. And it's funny, because the Arctic Monkeys opened. And there, I, I yeah. think by all... That was when everyone was at the height of Black Keys. So that's the other thing. Though. So Black Keys are a great example of a band that just gets kind of put on a pedestal for a little bit. We talked about like Foster the People or the Killers who yeah. ride this wave of just insane popularity because they licensed almost every single song on Brothers when it came out. Right. They're like, hey, why, we got nothing to lose. Let's let us let's license Tighten Up and play it in every fucking Chevy commercial ever. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's, and it, it paid off for them. They're a huge rock band. And now. like... And, while part of me wants to resent them for that, it's like you almost can't. I like, can't. I don't. Why? If you have a chance to make a, a yeah, really yeah, good living yeah. off a song you wrote, that's a really good song. Tighten Up's a great rock song. That is. And uh, you know, I there is some. There's something to be said about that artistic thing. But I've heard some musicians say, like, look, like that's kind of a, a little bit of a myth. Yeah. Like if I can sell my music, it's something I made. Right. There's there's no industry to sell your music now. So right. That's, that's the only way. That's the thing about the Black Keys. And if it's it like you can't begrudge them that because. How else do you make money on actual just music? It's like, but but it's crazy because they have received now a shit, just a ton of critical backlash. Yeah. No one is like into the and now they're like anymore. winning Grammys and shit. But so it's like you gotta like yeah, you're kind of on one team or the other. It's yeah, funny because they haven't really changed their sound. It's like oh, we got Danger Mouse to produce our records. They're like a little poppier. Yeah, like a little, from like Rubber Factory and those hey, if you're talking about the big come up, how chunky that yeah. like blues and gritty that sound. Their cover of Andrew Bird can sing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, so as the 2000s went on, you start to see the fracturing of indie rock. It starts to go off into a couple of different genres. So you start to see a lot more of like this folk rock sound start to come about. Fleet Foxes mm-hmm. is a perfect example. And Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear is another one. Some of the songs I love by Fleet Foxes, White Winter Hymnal, He Doesn't Know Why, 
and then from Grizzly Bear on um, was two weeks was the big two weeks. One. Two was weeks. that on a commercial? It, it I feels think like it was. It I think it was. Now, yeah. That feels like a commercial. So I love that song, but it does feel like one that was like made for a commercial. And and then you even get people earlier in the decade like Bright Eyes on yep. uh, you know uh, Wide Awake It's Morning. Yeah. That album, first day of my life, was a kind of a big hit on, on that album. Uh, and then Bonnie Fair, obviously. So. Skinny. This is like circa 2008, 2008. Yeah, this is like later 2000s. Skinny Love ends up being a huge hit. It gets covered by a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think you can argue that Skinny Love is a, an amazing song. I like Skinny Love a lot. I do too. Oh, you're saying you can't argue... You can't argue that. That it, oh, that I see, it I thought is you were an amazing saying, song. I thought what you meant was you can't make the argument that it is a great song. No, I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go. So just like you saw people like Jet taking over that sound in the early 2000s, that garage rock sound, you start to see people take over that folk rock sound for a pop audience in the later 2000s. And I think Mumford & Sons oh, is absolutely. a great example of that. They are, yeah. And you I talk about like Little Lion Man? I like that song. When it came out, man, I really was all about that Everybody song. was. And I, you know what, that album, I can't begrudge any song on there. Like, I enjoy no. it. Yeah. And I also want to say thank you to Sean for guiding us through the history of this decade because, <laughs> and this is a, this is the ultimate playing on an away court thing. We yep. talked about how we're playing an away game. I forgot my laptop. I haven't had the, ch- I'm not even oh, looking at anything. Yet. We're going off the cuff. That's, so, Sean, that's thank right. you for guiding us. Of course. Yeah, I'm like the line. moderator here. I'm like yeah. Alex Trebek. Yeah, you're guiding us right through. I appreciate it. And, and yeah, Little Lineman is an example of one of those songs where that, like, sort of a genre hits its pop sort of, yeah. like, peak early on. I, I, yeah, I like that song. What are your thoughts on, on that whole v- movement and vibe and in that sound? On that sound? Uh, I think. Uh, it was there was an undercurrent of it for all of the 2000s, oh, yeah. if not earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was thinking of you brought up Bonnie Vare. Uh, so then I was I was thinking labels. So that that initial record uh, came out on Jag Jaguar, mm-hmm. another great label, which ties back to like Sunset Rubdown, which is right. one of Spencer's bands from Wolf Parade. So I was still following labels at that time. So. Uh, when were those, the De- sorry, when no. were the Decemberists doing their thing? I was oh, around yeah, that yeah, same I, time. I, I, it was maybe mid, a mid, uh, mid-ish, 2005-ish to 07. I think they were big. Decemberists, so you bring up something, uh, uh, jumping to a different thought. Uh, one record we hadn't mentioned is In the Airplane Over the Sea, Neutral Milk That's Hotel. right, yeah. So, didn't uh, that come out in the 90s? That was the 90s. Yeah, 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 it was the 90s, but it was huge on what those sounds were. Like, That's absolutely right. Like, everybody was yep. like... Decemberist, that's all we talked about. Like, any time that Decemberist came up, we were like, well, well if you listen to Mutual Milk Hotel. And that's also a good answer to my question about 98 and 99, because didn't that come out? I think yeah, it was there we go. All right. I it took us in the other pod. I found one. one. Yeah. yeah. A huge one. <laughs> so the other, you talk about folk rock kind of splintering off of that. Really quick, Sean. Before yeah, go we ahead. move on, because yeah. I think we missed a really a big one, unless it's coming up. But I think we've moved past it chronologically. It's uh, Wake Up by Arcade Fire. That's right. We didn't really get into our game. Mention, fire. but yeah, you mention right. them. But in terms of songs, I think "Wake Up," I think "Rebellion Lies." Yeah, huge, huge songs. Uh, no if, cars go. If we're talking about like the anthemic rock songs of the early to mid two thousands, to me, "Wake Up" is is a pretty big one. Yeah, because it even like sounds like an anthem. Yeah, yeah. It has the huge vocals and like. And if you want to talk about heart melody, yeah, if you want to talk about taking a lot of different sounds and distilling them into one album, I think "Funeral." is one of them because you're getting some of those folk rock sounds you're getting some of the harder rock sounds you're getting 
just regular straight up rock sounds. You're getting even a little bit of like world music in there. Like yeah. you're getting a lot of different yeah, yeah. stuff. I think that's why they were so successful it's, and so yeah. revered. Is exactly. They, like, did so so much I want to ask you this, Ian, because this is something that I think Jake and I took for granted was that oh, Arcade Fire is a critical darling. Back in '04, when that album came out, Pitchfork they were they were kingmakers in terms of yeah, if we yeah, give yeah, you yeah. a best new music. You've fucking made it. They gave so, it a nine seven, nine point seven. What did that mean yeah. at the time when that Arcade Fire record came out? Uh, that meant a lot. I, I was definitely reading Pitchfork early two thousands, and that definitely. I had started to hear of like their live shows and stuff like that. It goes, but I'm thinking now again. It goes back to the labels. So I think of the indie labels. Then uh, you have your big ones. You have your Merge. You have your Matador. You have your Drag City. Sub, I think there's like actually Jag Jaguar. Most of the records we've talked about on the indie side have all been out on those labels. I'm just this, loving this, this context. This is great yeah, context I, that we're ill-equipped to provide, yeah. Sean. Uh, so I mean, yeah. So I would like so even working at the record store, I knew like the label little logos. I would flip through, and if I saw a Drag City, those little checkers on the top, I was pulling that mm -hmm. out. I was mm -hmm. I was buying that that record. Uh, so. There was, you know, so Pitchfork just kind of confirmed what I had been hearing. Merge was there to kind of put that out. And then there was, I mean, there's also this family tree. So there was these indie labels. So it felt like there was some sort of movement because there was connections to then Wolf Parade. Uh, I believe the drummer may have drummed with Arcade Fire at some point. I believe that first record was recorded in the same studio Ch church. church. That, in that Montreal So there's connection. this Montreal scene. And there's also then offshoots to like Godspeed You Black Emperor, which goes to Cranky. And that's Chicago labels, Constellation. And they have connections with like... So there was just like this enormous family tree. That Wolf Parade record is produced, I believe, Isaac Brock from Modest Malice is he the A&R uh, guy. He put yep. them together. This he feels like the number 23. Yeah, there's so all these like connections. Carry. So there was these, all of these labels, your Sub Pops, your Merge, your Matadors, your Jag Jaguars, your Drag Cities. So like connecting like North Carolina where Merge is to New York City to Seattle, Washington for Sub Pop to Chicago for many of those other labels. So um, yeah, I, I can't remember where I was going. We were talking... Arcade Fire. But, That's all right. Uh, you were just saying yeah, that you no. picked it up because it was a merge record. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was merge record. So there's also Destroyer on there, which connects to Swan Lake, which is another right. Wolf Parade related band, which connects to Frog Eyes. There was this Vancouver scene. So it was... And, and I feel like Pitchfork, more than anyone, and this is a reason why they're so big now, was very in tune yeah, they were reporting on this scene. They yeah, they were they were telling it was, the honestly story. to their credit, and it was very. They smart. made those connections for us. Pitchfork yeah. has become kind of the dinosaur. They're turning into a Rolling Stone. Honestly, is what they're doing. Yeah, they're doing what we're talking about. You could argue they're doing what like if you want to give the Strokes some shit or a band like yeah, that. Like, yeah, they're, no, they're kind of, like through yeah. time, they've become a caricature of themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're yeah. like so many of the bands they revile. They're just like. They're kind of, uh, they, yeah. they do their thing, and it's a little bit, it's a shtick. You understand, it all yeah. seems political with Pitchfork. Absolutely. Right, right. I can almost predict the yeah. score for yeah. a band yeah. before yeah. it comes out. So just to, to, to wrap up here, I think one of the last um, kind of sounds that we got was that southern Indian country-infused sound with bands like Kings of Leon, Band of Horses. Uh, yeah. You can even argue, I guess, like Wilco or Avit Brothers kind of fit into sure, that whole that aesthetic. Americana. And some yeah, of this yeah, stuff merges. country. Yeah, that yep. was definitely big. All country some, was And huge. to me, those scenes merge with like the folk scene a little bit. They do. You have like the alt-country, alt-folk mm -hmm. kind of stuff all merging. 
That Avett Brothers album, I In Love With You, was a big deal for me in high school. Senior out, year of high school. Jake, out, that was a big one for us, senior year of high school, that summer going into when we started college. No, I think that came out 2009. Um, we got into it later. Right, but I'm just yeah, saying, I think right. it came out in 2009. Yeah. And that wasn't an album that really made that much noise for a no. lot of people, but we were exposed to it at the right time. Talk we about time and place. We were. Yeah, yeah. I was exposed to the song, I In Love With You, at the right time. And to me, I was like, this song's amazing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Looking back, it's like it's a definitely a very good song. Right. It's not so groundbreaking. It's right. not like some amazing thing. But when you're young and like, I mean, I guess you could say I'm still young and I probably still don't know a lot about music. But <laughs> but when you're like in high school, stuff like that seems very meaningful. Yep. Even if it's not. But I still like the Avid Brothers. I do too. And Fun I think, fact, I had yep. the opportunity to interview Scott Avid when I was right. in college. That's yeah. right. For our school. Really? Yeah, he was very nice. Yeah. Very much like his, seems like a nice down earth Southern gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Very friendly. Yeah. He's like brother. great. He was like, his brother. He's, he's like, he's trouble. He's, he's trouble. Yeah. He was like, oh, great interview, Jake. Thanks, man. Yep. I was like, oh, th- cool, Scott Avid. Yes. Thanks, brother. I didn't call him brother. He would probably Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the brothers now right I have another 10 interviews <laughs> um, so I want to wrap up let's say let, let's all give our top one or two favorite rock songs of the 2000s Ian you already said I'll believe in anything any other last thoughts for another one that you want to give give some attention to uh, I, I think I mean you brought it up as maps as yeah. one of the other kind of enduring songs that Absolutely. It's gonna outlive, you know. So for me, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'll believe in anything up there, even though it's been a newer discovery for me. But if I am talking ones that I knew previously, I think Rebellion Lies by Arcade Fire, nice. Nice. I have to put up there. Yeah. Just every time I listen to that song, it it just it does it for me. No matter how many times I've listened to it. A band we didn't talk about too. Uh, well, we we mentioned them at the start. We kind of shit on them. Was LCD Sound System? It can't be denied that All My Friends is a goosebump-inducing song for me. It's weird how to they this be, day how they've sort of been on the receiving end of a lot of shit from us, which isn't really fair. It's I don't not. I don't dislike them. I don't either. I don't know how it's happened. They just did a reunion and we like that caught our ire. Right. I don't know. Um, for me. So I'm going to go with a Radiohead song. I'm not going to decide, but I'm going to mention both. I'm going to go from opposite ends of the the decade. Uh, 2007 they put out, or 2008, they put out in Rainbows. Nude is my favorite song on there. Hell yeah. Um, Right on, brother, right on. James Alex back in the studio, Come back. He's gone again, man. That guy's elusive. How did he even get in here? Big Radiohead fan, though. I, I... don't know if that's true. We can't confirm nor deny that. The other would be like probably everything in its right place off Kid A. Mm-hmm. So if I was gonna, that's like if I wanted a Radiohead representative in there. Uh, the other, I think, and this is weird, but I'm gonna pick Soma off "Is This It" by The yeah, Strokes because I about that. when I first got into "Is This It," for some reason that was my favorite song. And for and sometimes like your favorite song on an album doesn't have to make sense. It's mm-hmm. like it's a slightly weird deep cut that mm-hmm. means a lot to you just mm-hmm. f- for whatever reason. I couldn't even explain why I like Soma so much, but. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. I'm right up there. Those with aren't necessarily that's not necessarily one of the best, but it might, no. I think it might be one of my right. favorites. No, I'm right up there with you. So I think what we're gonna do is based on just kind of this general conversation about 2000s rock and some of our favorite songs, we're actually we're gonna put together a dedicated Spotify playlist. What we've done in the past is we've put together kind of a rotating, changing playlist. We've been lazy at best. We've been lazy with it lately, but I think for this one, let's make a dedicated playlist that we're not going to delete or change. We'll just call it Best Songs of the 2000s Listen and Podcast Playlist. 
We'll get that on Spotify for you. Give that a search. It's going to have a lot of the songs we talked about today. I, th I think we should defer that to you, Sean, because you're the iron chef of playlists. I am. I become, you're a good playlist maker. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll put that together. Um, just go ahead and search best songs of the 2000s, listen to podcast playlist. It'll be up by this weekend. So right. check that out. Uh, next week, we have a similar conversation. We're talking this emo pop punk revival mm -hmm. and all the great albums that have come out this past month about that we're going to be talking hotel year i'm so modern excited. baseball pup a lot of different stuff sorority noise i'm very 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 excited to talk I am about too. goodness i am i, I, I can't am wait. too i am too so stay tuned for that you'll have another kind of introductory emo playlist coming your way uh so until next week thanks a lot everybody see ya It's cool that I get to be on the other end of this for once. This is wild. Yeah, I, I'm it, controlling. I'm the, I feel like I'm too close to the microphone. And maybe no. and you're too far oh, away. Oh, I might have been too far. I don't know. I think we might be like, we got to move it. All right. Yeah. Dude, we're operating under under interesting circumstances tonight. Whoa, with a different computer, different basement. This is an away game in every sense of the word. It is. We got to like, we got to bring it. We got to, like, the, is like the Warriors didn't. Dude, this is, yeah. This is like the Warriors walking into OKC into a buzzsaw. With Russell Westbrook did. and Kevin Durant. You know what? Let's do a quick uh, NBA Bites segment. I like that. We're sure. going to call these after things Bites. Sure, yeah. We'll do an NBA Bites. Quick NBA Bites. Now, I, I love the Warriors. So do I. Okay, I want them to win. Sean, so do I. But they're not playing like champions. I'm buying into like the media rhetoric. To the ESPN Skip Bayless hype. Of just like... Did he say that, by the way? Because it wouldn't surprise no, me. No, what he said is... So he's a big Spurs guy. Did he, hold on? Did he do the thing where he like gets fake serious for a minute? He's like, you go, the, the, the now, golden now the now, Golden State Warriors now Stephen A. Yeah, I love this Warriors team, but my Spurs, they would have performed a lot better against this, this see, team. See, I, he's got this slight like he does Southern accent. He does trying to beat out of himself. He gets fake calm sometimes, and I give him a pass because he likes Brady and he likes the Pats, mm. and maybe a little too much honestly for someone who's like arguably impartial. Yeah, well, his whole thing is like he's a professional troll. So <laughs> right. the fact that he loves the Pats so much is actually not a good sign for us. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. I just, but still, like, I get a little comfort from it. No, I, know. I know it's like a shtick. But when, like, an insane person is defending your cause, yeah. you need to be like, wait a minute. Well, but it takes insanity to, like, to back up what is an insane run of success. So this is an interesting topic we could dive into. This could be a full pod is, like, what does insanity really mean yeah and like what it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results that's tim coming tim from the, the producer tim the producer coming in from the rafters engineer tim that's right should that's we right. so this mike should we move it at all should it be like this Cause, or do we want it on the setting where it's like oh yeah time? we should change that setting to, probably, to the whole room can we do it now yeah yeah, yeah that's fine. all right listeners if if this explodes your earbuds don't all right, so now it's on the, the whole room setting. Okay, perfect. How do we set? This will be interesting. Recorded in two different ways. Yeah, this will be good. This will be good. Um, all right, you want to dive in? Yeah, I do. All right, ready? Three, two, one.
one, 